Our series is The Joy of Knowing, and primarily the joy of knowing our Savior, to know Him who is our all in all. Our text this morning is John chapter 5, verse 5, John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 5. We'll continue reading through verse 12. If you find it, uh, grab your digital copy or your paper copy, and then when you have it, look this way, we'll bow for prayer. And uh, then we'll proceed, uh, see what God has for us today. All right, let's pray. Gracious God, by your mercy, by your grace, you have brought us here to hear your word, to engage in your thoughts as you have presented them here on the page. I know, God, I need your help in presenting well, but most of all, we all need the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives to instruct us, to guide us, to convict us, to comfort us in the way that only he can do. And so we pray that you would pour out your spirit today as we listen, as we read, as we follow your word, that we may know the joy of knowing our dear Savior. For it's in his name I pray, amen. From the earliest of times, humankind has had a concept of the afterlife. Uh, Kierkegaard thought that humans had really an innate awareness of and and a fear of dying. And it was that fear of dying, he said, which caused most human beliefs and ways of behaving. Uh, Some thought that the afterlife was a personal thing, meaning that you would be known as you are known from a relief of... uh, Egyptian artifacts found in, in ruins. Um, and so they would prepare elaborately uh, just in case, you know, you didn't quite get to the afterlife along the way. Or as you went, you would have provision, you would have food, and often you'd have servants who were, and they say, were also sacrificed there to arise with you if you are a noble person and to serve you there. And others thought of an impersonal afterlife. We think of uh, the Hindu religions and their nirvana, which was some sort of nothingness but joy, but wasn't really described. Um, There are others who thought there was no life after death. There was no afterlife. There was only oblivion. And we think in the, the Jewish sect of the Sadducees, they thought that God continued afterwards, but they would not. And some Eastern religions ascribe to a concept of reincarnation. Uh, Depending on one's deeds, one would be reincarnated here on earth as a lower form or a higher form. Uh, Give you the idea, if you're good, you come back as a cow in India. If you're bad, you come back as a cow in Texas. And you become hamburger. I'm not sure if that exactly is in the writings, but that's kind of the idea. A great many theistic um, religions do have a concept of a higher plane, and a lower plane, a higher plane of paradise or of heaven, and a lower plane of, of hell or Hades or some place of, of banishment. Uh, it, is, it is throughout. But all of these had some concept. Um, these, most of these religions have a concept of eternal life, of an afterlife. And here is what John, as he writes, is bringing a long passage down, starting in verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, of loving God, of knowing God, of loving others, of, of who Jesus is. In fact, he finished with a, a verse in verse 5. We're going to go back and, and uh, kind of uh, recapsulate just a bit. 
But, it, but he has something here for us. And I want this morning, in the time that we have, two, two thoughts for you. Number one, I want you to examine the testimony that God has given. If you're, if you're making notes, how, how is it that I interact with a testimony that God has given me through his word regarding eternal life? Secondly, the question I have for you, the thought is, do I believe or will you believe this testimony that God has given. Let's go to verse 5. Verse 5, uh, ending up in verse 1. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But this one who he believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He says, so the one that overcomes has faith, places faith in Jesus as the Son of God. And last week we talked about the, um, the, uh, the er- errors of religion, of faith in Christ that were occurring. Either that Jesus was not fully man or that Jesus was not fully God. And so this uh, phrase, Jesus, the Son of God, was very purposeful in John's writing. But he establishes the understanding that faith, one must personally and actively place their faith in Jesus Christ. So he's going to develop that idea. Verse 6, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. This one, Jesus Christ, not not with water only, but with water and blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. So let's unpack this. Let's unpack this idea of Scripture. So by water, the one who came by water and blood. So Jesus, he says, has come by water and by blood. So what's he talking about? Water. Just plain old water? Well, I believe there's, there are a lot of ideas, whether it be the water and blood coming from the side, other things. But I believe he's, he's speaking of John the commencement of Jesus' ministry on earth, the inauguration, as it were. Remember that time that um, Jesus comes to, um, he comes to the Jordan, and John is there. John the Baptist is there. And John the Baptist, we have record in Matthew 3, and then in John. Matthew 3 says, Jesus then arrived at the Galilee, Jordan, uh, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to see me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it at this time. For in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him, John permitted him, Jesus. And 16, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the, Holy, the Spirit of God descending as a dove lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John writes also, he says uh, the next day, he saw Jesus coming to him. Behold, this is John the Baptist speaking, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says that this one who's coming, uh, John is, the Baptist is saying, uh, he has a higher rank than I. I'm not fit to, to loose the sandal, of his, uh, the, the strap of his sandal. And John testified in verse 32 of chapter 1, saying, I have seen the Spirit ascending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in the water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit ascending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist adds, I have myself as seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So we have this by water. And I believe the first testimony we have is that inaugural baptism that Jesus comes to John at the Jordan River, John the Baptist, and you see Father, Son, and Spirit there present, the beginning of his ministry. So he comes inaugurated as 
the one through water. Water wasn't magical, but this is what God has, has, has used to, to signify the great working anointing of the Holy Spirit. So we have this idea of first water, the water of his baptism, the inauguration of that. But secondly, secondly, we see the word there, it says blood, the idea of blood. So what is this? That he is merely human, that he comes from, he has blood in his veins? Well, the idea of blood, I believe, is Christ's blood that was shed upon the cross, the consummation of his coming. Here Jesus comes, and the inauguration of baptism in water, the, the immersion there, but, but what brought it home for us is the blood that was shed upon the cross. So cross, Christ came, his blood shedding upon the cross. He uses that testimony to say, this is Jesus, the Son of God. Now imagine this. Not only God coming down to earth, but God willing to suffer, to feel pain, to feel hunger, to feel sadness, to feel betrayal, to feel all of these things, and yet without sin, and this one would go to his death, and all the sin of the world would be cast upon him, and his payment would be sufficient for all of that sin, and he would bleed, and he would die on that cross, hanging between heaven and earth. The blood was a testimony of the Son of God and the mission that He came to do. Can you imagine this? These who are reading, yes, water, but blood. We who are reading, the blood that was shed upon us, as He dies there, He feels every nerve ending crying out, screaming in pain, joints being torn and ripped from each other, and the suffocating of His lungs because of the pressure of the cross upon Him. And He dies there for you and for me, having His blood shed out, poured out for us. A testimony. A testimony, not only the physical pain, but the pain of separation from God the Father. Because God the Father could not look upon the Son who was bearing our sin. All of this to pay our sin debt. Your sin debt. My sin debt. So the blood that he shed bore witness to him of, yes, his humanity. He, he bled real blood of his deity he died, and it, as we know the account, he was raised from the dead, but that blood was a witness to us. And John com- continues in the epistle, again in verse 6, we notice that he says, not only water and the blood, it is the Spirit who testifies. So a third testimony, as we're receiving the testimony of the water of the blood, but a third testimony, because the Spirit is truth. You understand, we've talked about the arguments against the Gnosticism that was of, of that day and would really increase there. That he would have only appeared human. Well, here it is that Jesus is coming in blood and water, but the Spirit itself now will testify. John 15, 26, Jesus said, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, Jesus said. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning, speaking to his disciples. The Spirit. So the Spirit is the testimony. And he is a true and reliable testimony because he is the Spirit of truth. So here John is writing that we have a testimony of who Jesus is. Not only the water, not only the blood, but the Spirit. The Spirit of God. 
And we can trust the testimony. He restates this again. For there are three that testify, and he reorders this, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three are in agreement. And so we have the summation of what this is, the agreement of the Spirit, the water, and the blood give testimony that Jesus indeed is God. He is the one sent from God. He is the anointed, this one. So here's the testimony that you receive from God, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is capable of taking upon Him, and He's already done for you your sin, and by His grace, through faith, placing your faith into Him, His righteousness now credited to you. He declares you righteous. We have the testimony of who Christ is. This testimony. Verse 9. If you receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. So in the summation, he said, this is this. And he takes us back to, I'd say, our own understanding. You know, we, unless we're really, really cynical, we, for the most part, believe people. And he says, yes, here we go. You go to the court of law and you trust that the testimony of man. And you believe that. They may put their hand on the Bible left on the Bible, and swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And so, in that, testimony is believed in the court of law. And so we have this. But he says, if we, if we even uh, dare to believe the testimony of man, how much more should we believe the testimony of God? His testimony is greater. His testimony is greater. He, God himself, has testified of his son, very God himself. And in this agreement, the water, the blood, the spirit, God the Holy Spirit and God the Father testify of God the Son as this one who is able to take away the punishment of sin. What's God's testimony? God's testimony is that Jesus is. And so we must receive... See, when we come to the place of understanding what God is saying from His Word, we receive that testimony. We examine it. And then we must decide what to do with that testimony. What is it? How will we engage with that testimony? Will we discount it? Will we become apathetic to it? So we might say, no, I don't believe that. Or I don't, I, maybe I believe it. I don't care. Or will we engage with it and say, I believe this is the truth from God Will I believe? And that's the next part as John continues to write. The one who believes, verse 10, in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Now this is interesting because he's given the three, the water, blood, and the Holy Spirit. He's given those. But he says also for the one who believes, who places his faith, there is another witness, another testimony, and that is within himself. This idea of in himself. So um, the effective witness of the Holy Spirit in the heart. Ephesians 1.13 tells us of the stamp, of the seal of the Holy Spirit for those who have trusted Christ. Romans 8.16 says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If you don't have that witness, bearing witness in you, there's a problem. You may not be a child of God. And John's already given... Um, it's already given things to, to evaluate. Um, do I practice righteousness? Or do I make it a practice to practice lawlessness or sin? If I'm practicing lawlessness or sin, 
I'm not one of God's. But is as if, as, as Martin Luther wrote many years ago, if the needle, uh, he says, of the life of the believer will sometimes be shaken, but it will always return to true north, because that is what is within him. The Spirit here testifies. But what about the one who does not believe? Who, who maybe receive the information, but do not believe. And in verse 10, it continues. The one who does not believe God has made him, God, a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning God. See, the unbelievers, Leon Morris says in his commentary, um, says he takes up the, the position of permanently having a wrong view of God. God is a liar. I don't believe God. And that's a very serious thing when we turn our minds not to believe God. That he's a liar. What he's saying is word. I hear it. I see it. I do not, do not believe. I turn away. And to call God a liar in the respect of this testimony regarding Jesus has both permanent and disastrous results. He says he's not believed in the testimony. The result of believing what God says about Jesus is life. The result is not believing. He says, we'll follow up here in these next two verses, verse 11. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. So now back to the beginning, as we talked about eternal life. See, God has written in His Word from the earliest book of Job. Job spoke of, of the, the understanding of the God will provide for him eternal life. David, the, the death of the infant son with Bathsheba. Finally, when the, the child dies, he says, I, he will not come back to me, but I will go to him. Throughout Scripture, Jesus said, where I am going, you may go also. Throughout Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, um, Paul paints this beautiful picture here. He speaks as he writes, uh, says, we don't sorrow as those without hope. But he comes to, to 15 and he says, our perishable body will take on um, this imperishable body. One that is from going from uh, a finite, destructible body now will have a heavenly body. This afterlife. And so now he comes and John says, The testimony is this, that God has given eternal life, of which he has spoken of in his scripture. And this life is in his Son, only in his Son. So we'll say, so that's pretty exclusive. Yes, it is. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That have been just nice words. Except he says, no man, no one comes to the Father but through, but by me. To receive the testimony requires us to believe the testimony. If we are to have eternal life, verse 12, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And this he is speaking of eternal life. Exclusivity. This life, eternal life. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. There is no other way to eternal life. Only Jesus. Well, if I'm just good enough, if I do these things, will I be able to earn it? No. So for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, we would believe it is all of God. If we work, then it's of us. Then we say, hey, I did pretty good. Look at me. I worked really hard. I got to heaven. 
And salvation is never depicted in Scripture as us earning it. Only through God, through faith and the grace of God. Only Jesus, no Son of God, no life. So we come down to the second part of the question, what is your decision? What do you believe? He who has the Son has life. So we who were by practice in nature sinners and rebels against God, now through the Son of God may have present possession of eternal life. That's what the the words in here, if you dig deeper and it says, you have this now, you will see it. One day, but you have the present possession. You who know Christ have the present position and possession of heaven. But if you do not, there is no hope. What is your decision? You know, even by procrastinating, one makes a decision. Some of us are better at procrastinating than others. I'm highly skilled. Um, But by procrastinating, we put off, we think, the decision. We're actually making a decision against the Son of God. See, if you're here and you don't know Christ, the, the nagging question I hope is coming your way is, what will I do with Jesus? Where will I spend eternity? So who is Jesus to you? The single most important decision that you will ever make is this decision about Jesus Christ. And this decision affects all of your eternity. And so you notice, you notice in, as we're reading this passage, verse 11, and God has given us God gave eternal life. So will you choose to receive the gift that God has given? How do you do that? You humble yourself before God. Confess your sin. You ask God to take away your sin, to give you a new heart. You believe. You place your faith in Jesus and His grace to save you. And He will make you His child. He'll make you a child of the Father. And you, too, would have the present possession of eternal life. Forever. He will give you a new heart. And he will do what he promised to do. Now, believer, how do you interact with this? You've made your decision. You placed your faith in Christ. He has, by his grace, received. How do you interact with this today? I think our first response would be is, is grateful. Grateful worship, the heart of worship and thanksgiving. May we never lose sight of what Christ has done for us. May the picture of Him on the cross grip our hearts that we may not sin. That's the second part of it. Life is not to be lived for myself. Life is not to be lived for yourself. There is one more person. There is one more opportunity for you to live for Christ. To die is gain. To live out your life for Him. So some of us need to stop sinning. Hey, as John has been talking, to this, just to stop by, by God's grace and His forgiveness to stop sinning. Others need to, of us need to stay on mission. 
Others need to remember why we are here. That we have, by the grace of God, experienced salvation. We have eternal life ahead of us. So what are we doing now for the glory and the kingdom of God? See, to know Jesus is to know the joy that surpasses all other joys. To know Jesus, to know Jesus is eternal life. So today, do you know the joy of Jesus? Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, by your mercy, by your strength, you have brought us here to hear. As a believer or not a believer, you have given us the opportunity to interact with your word. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would continue that work even long after we have left this place. And Lord, I pray that you would, by your grace, by your mercy, you work in hearts. We need you. Oh God, if there's one here who does not know Jesus, would you, would you draw that one to yourself? Would they see their need of a Savior? Would they see the wonderful grace that Jesus extends to them? Oh God, if for the believers that are here, may we examine, may we preach to ourselves the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And may we respond in such a way that we give our all and pledge our lives to you. May we not go away as a believer with no response. For God, would you do the work that only you can do? May your spirit work in hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.